You are listening to Engage Arizona, public policy for daily life. In this episode, we speak with Cheryl Crozier, the mother of Simon Crozier, and the namesake of a new law that Governor Ducey recently signed. Cheryl tells the heartbreaking story of her short time with Simon and the devastating news that Simon had a do not resuscitate order put in his medical file without his parents' knowledge. Cheryl worked with Cap and State legislators this session to bring Simon's Law to Arizona in hopes of sparing other families the same heartache. We do recognize and apologize for the poor audio quality of this episode. And now, here's Cindy Dahlgren. Welcome to Engage Arizona. I'm Cindy Dahlgren. Cheryl Crozier joins me today to share her heartbreaking story, which uh, she actually turned into potentially life-saving action in a number of states, most recently here in Arizona. Uh, We'll get to the new legislation here in a bit, but first a little background. Cheryl's baby boy, Simon, was born in September of 2010 and was diagnosed with trisomy 18, or Edwards syndrome. It is considered fatal, but some people have survived years, even decades, Cheryl has discovered. Thank you for joining us, Cheryl. Can you uh, please start out by telling us a little bit about Simon's short life and your time with him, knowing he was going to um, struggle to live, and how you and your family spent the time with him? Sure. First of all, thank you, Sissy. I I appreciate your time, and I'm honored to to be with you today. Uh, Simon was born uh, September 7th, 2010, and... For us, for our family, we know that God blessed us with a son. And even with Simon's bilateral cleft lip, uh, he was our gift from God, and he was just absolutely perfect for our family. It was Simon's third day of life, and he was diagnosed, uh, as you said, with trisomy 18, also known as Edwards syndrome. And for your reference, Down syndrome is trisomy 21. So Edwards syndrome... Trisome 18 is just the second most common to Down syndrome. And for too long, uh, like, like you had, had mentioned, uh, this, this condition of his, they would consider it a lethal anomaly, or they would call, call his condition or children like Simon incompatible with life, despite the evidence of others even living, like you had mentioned, um, surviving for months years, even decades. Uh, Trisomy 18 children do often require heart surgery, and uh, we were scheduled to meet with a cardiac surgeon on December the 6th, 2010. So Simon remained in the hospital his whole life, and our lives revolved around him. Um, My husband and I uh, had two children, before Simon, um, our son Samuel, who was born in 2003, and our son Sean was born in 2004. We had done experienced miscarriages uh, after having our two boys, and it was then that we found out that we were pregnant with another boy. So clearly, we were pretty excited to find out that that we were um, having a boy, and we decided that his name was going to be Simon. So our boys were so excited. Um, they spent so much time reading to him in the NICU and singing to him and just cuddling with him. And we were in constant attendance. Um, and well, I know I, uh, one, 
I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh, so you said that um, you were planning on having um, him get a heart surgery. So my understanding is that he was, uh, you were expecting him to be prepped for that surgery, but then his oxygen levels dropped? Or tell me about what happened when you were getting ready for that surgery. So Simon, um, as he nears three months of age, um, we clearly look forward to uh, repairing, getting his heart repaired. And it was the it was tragedy that struck uh, before the pre-scheduled, uh, or before the surgery, pre-surgery consult, which was on December 6th, which happened to be a Monday. Well, on December the 3rd, which was a Friday, Simon's oxygen levels began falling. We're told nothing can be done, this is and we're watching in disbelief as our child is taking his last breath inside this hospital that he's been a patient for so many months, and no code resuscitation was engaged. And we pleaded with the medical staff again and out, what can be done? Nothing can be done. So here we are, we're losing Simon. Where were those experts? We're in a level three NICU. There's no cards, there's no beeping monitors. And the only people that were panicking were my husband and myself. So absolutely nothing's done. And that morning, on December the 3rd, Simon, died at 10.45 a.m. So, as you can imagine, um, our sorrow was unimaginable, but our agony was even compounded when the other hospital called. That Friday, he died to confirm his Monday appointment to fix his heart at the other hospital, and I had to tell him that my son won't be there because he died. Oh, I can't imagine. So, and then after that, uh, after Simon's death, uh, we call him Simon's special nurse, but there were some really good, there were some really good nurses that he had that loved him and cared for him, but it was after he died that they said their hands were tied, and then we were given indications that we should start to examine Simon's chart medical chart, it's record. Well, at that time, it was about three weeks or so after he had died, and a friend of mine said, you know, you want to write a book, you know, just telling how special Simon is, and, and that's what I did. Like I said, blessed us with the son. He didn't bless us with the symptoms, so I named his book, uh, not a syndrome, my name is Simon. And so, when we started going through Records. We didn't believe it. That's since we found out the horrible truth. The DNR, the do not resuscitate, was placed in his medical file. And you didn't and know about the, this, is that right? You were never told to about this or talked to about it? No, not at all. Yeah, he, um, it's, it's, it's something that, that was not discussed or we gave no consent to. But then we figured out this is why they stood around on that day, December the 3rd, and they did nothing for him. Because, you know, if it was a typical three-month-old, like I mentioned, I, I 
have my I had my two other children before that. There'd be doctors running down the hall to save their life. Of course, you know it would be ER moment or you know, and and that it, it gets worse though because we even discovered not just the DNR, but Simon was Simon was only getting comfort these. And what exactly is that? Can you describe like about how much that is? Comfort feed, by definition, is an insufficient amount of food for growth and development. It's not for nutrition. Um, it it was that basically Simon was being intentionally starved. My husband and I would have never, ever have agreed to this. So here I am. I'm pumping breast milk, believing it's being fed to him through his and he too. And it was only little itty bitty amounts. And now, you know, I look back at his, his growth chart and his weight chart. And I always used to say, oh, it's because of the trisomy 18 that he's just going to be small, not going to gain weight. Yes, that is true. Children with trisomy 18 are typically small. However, when you spend three months with your child, you should see more weight gain. So they must have been looking at us like we were uh, stupid. But every little ounce we would get excited about. And it was it was nothing. It was they were what they were giving him was nothing. But as an example of food denial Scott, my husband, relayed that once he had been awakened at 4.40 a.m. by this nurse practitioner in the hospital when Simon was, he was fussing and he was clearly irritated. And she firmly asked Scott, so do you want me to give him morphine? And Scott knew why that, that was not a good idea. Why would I give a tiny baby with heart problems, uh, uh, mm. this, this powerful drug. And, you know, in hindsight, Simon was probably fussy because he was hungry and he was, mm. he was being denied his sufficient nutrition. That must have made you desperately angry and, and helpless. And looking back, do you feel that um, they were keeping it a secret from you or they just assumed you knew and didn't say anything to you? Or why, why wasn't anybody sharing with you uh, why he was acting so hungry and not growing? Right. Um, no, they, they, just, they didn't share much at all with us. In fact, uh, we really didn't see the doctors very often. Um, they always, uh, it seemed like, and I've heard this from other families, we were always the last with their rounds. So they'd come in, they'd listen to Simon's heart, and that was pretty much about it. Mm. But more his nurses uh, that were with him, uh, most of the time, and you know, when whenever for instance, when Scott had been questioned about the morphine, um, he was like, "No," I, and he took him in his arms and he just rested him on our chest. And 
on his chest and he just, you know, he comforted him and, and Simon was fine and he fell back asleep. But we were always asking for for more from the doctors. Like, you know, we had asked for a consult with a pulmonologist one time um, with because of Simon's breathing and we thought, you know, hey, you know, if he needs something, whether it's a trach or what have you, we just want to have a and we were denied a consult. Basically, no, not for Simon. That was a lot of what we heard. And, but never would I have thought that anybody could be that cold to not resuscitate your baby and then make on top of it not be feeding, feeding them. And it just, you know, anything that we questioned, it's a no, not for Simon. Or, uh, you know, just weird phrases. Or, or they would say, oh, I don't know. We would get the I don't know. So we were very frustrated, but yet we still had hope. And, you know, we just fought and fought for him. But looking back, it, it, Simon was, um, he, fought his, he fought his own battle with little, if not any medical, um, really any medical help. What are your thoughts about how the um, the doctors or the people who were in charge of his medical chart and the care that he would be given, how they saw Simon? I don't look back at that. I did, uh, someone else decided that Simon's life had no value, that he was disposable. You know, from that day three that he had the diagnosis, things just, you know, changed. It, you know, that we, we wouldn't really see the doctors much. We'd be the last one on the phone. And, you know, they they just, they, he was at the bottom of their list. And, you know, without our intelligence and sense, you know, someone else decided to withhold care, administer medications, to hasten and order a DNR, a do not resuscitate, to finalize Simon's life. And, you know, throughout Simon's life, we, like I said, you know, Simon, of course, fought his fault, but we were fighting for him, too, because I remember Scott many times saying to the doctors, well, what do you mean you don't know? And one time Scott said, you know, you guys are like the weathermen. You know, saying you don't know. He said, you know, if I said I don't know in my job, I'd be fired. I know, it must have been such a frustrating time, you know, at that period. And now when you look back and you have all the information and things start to come together, I think a a lot of people at that point would have just... um, you know, spent their life trying to uh, get through it and get over it and get through the pain and, and heal. And I'm sure you guys have done a lot of that, but you've also taken this experience and changed things and turned things around. And, um, you know, you have to relive this every time that you tell your story and that you go to different states and you work on this legislation. Tell me a little bit about um, about that, about um, you know, the the recent victory here in Arizona and the importance of that legislation and the other states. Right. Well, you know, it, it wasn't until um, we were in a documentary 
called labeled. And we found out that these hospitals have such things called futility policy. And basically that protects the hospitals and the doctors for basically making the decisions. So technically, they, they can do this. Morally and ethically, we know what they're doing is wrong by secretively uh, speeding up the, the process of a life. Uh, and, you know, it, it, it was just gut-wrenching to find out not just the futility policy, but that it's legal, it's common for physicians to withhold this care and without a parent's consent. It doesn't even matter if your child's one day old or if they're 17 years old. And it doesn't matter if they have trisomy 18 like my Simon. You know, they could be in a coma or they could end up in a, you know, have traumatic head injury. And any doctor in the United States can unilaterally issue a DNR order for them. And so we found out more and more through this documentary and through an organization called SOFT, which is Support Organization for Trisomy, that there are out there that have lost their mind with children with these unilateral DSDNRs withholding care. So we started to ask the question, should it be legal? Should it be legal to withhold procedures, medications, do slaughter to hasten the death of a child? without a parent's knowledge or permission? And, and should that be legal to put a DNR in a child's medical chart without asking the consent or, you know, speaking with the parents? So that's where Simon's Lawson is in. And Simon's Law says, no, it should not be legal. And, you know, I can't bring my Simon back, but I want to make sure that no other parent or guardian of a minor child is ever stripped from their parental rights in determining their child's life. And I want to make sure that no other parent has to discover the horror that the very doctor that they trusted life of their child with betrayed them and secretly determined that their child life. You know, in my opinion, no one loves their child more than a parent. And I believe that it's a parent's right to make those informed medical decisions. That's why the need for parental permission for these DNR orders also should extend to other children, those children without special needs. I mean, anyone could fall off a bicycle. Your six-year-old could fall off a bicycle and end up in the ICU. You don't know that attending physician, most likely. Oh, you've never met them. Or 16-year-olds, 16 16-year-olds 16 could end up in a car accident. What, you know, you to be the ones making the decision. So, so to protect children and parents, we have to stop this secret DNR, and and we have to make that all our children are protected. And so when when we first started this, uh, you know, back in Missouri, which hopefully is going to be right, you know, personal um, representative Ted, he has persevered, and and hopefully we're gonna we're gonna see that our our bill passed in Missouri. But when we had that victory in Kansas which was amazing, um, in, in April 2017. And it, it was just, you know, Simon's legacy was that and we're going to make sure we protect the children in Kansas. And then South Dakota, South Dakota, um, representative Fred Deutsch, 
when he contacted me and he was just like, we need this to protect her in South Dakota. And I'm like, yes. And then, you know, Arizona, um, I, my gratitude goes out to Senator Gray and Representative Nancy Bardo and for, for the Center for Arizona Policy and, and, you know, even Carrie Perez, who's, who's in Arizona, who is Simon's Law Action Coordinator for me. And she, you know, has been there testifying and, and, and working um, with the House and the Senate. And, and we are just grateful. And, you know, let's protect those children now in Arizona. And, you know, if we have to go state by state, that's what we have to do. Do you that's see any that, pushback? Um, do I see pushback? No, not so much. Um, I, the only opposition that we get really is from hospitals because, like I mentioned, these utility policies, they've been doing this since the early 90s, I found out, and um, people just didn't know about them. People still don't know about them. That's, you know, why we need to get the word out, and um, that's really, it's, it's mainly these hospitals groups or hospital associations. Um, doctors don't like it because um, they feel like that's going to tie their hands when they feel that, you know, they're not going to treat a child. However, there we have many um, medical groups and uh, doctors, such as uh, Dr. Uh, Marty McCaffrey, he's a neonatologist, and he actually testified uh, for Simon's Law. He's He's out of North Carolina, and he'll, he'll tell you, yes, this goes on. But you know what? Let's go give the doctors, uh, all these doctors, a bad name because there are so many good doctors out there. Unfortunately, we didn't we didn't have that, uh, at that blessing. But, you know, my goodness, I would have driven to North Carolina to have Dr. McCaffrey treat my child. You know, you would do anything, go to the end work for your children, but... Uh, the, the other doctors who are in support of Simon's Law and many nursing groups that are in support of Simon's Law say, yes, this needs to be transparent. They know that this is happening. And like I had mentioned before, even with nurses, their hands, their hands are tied at times. So it's time to, you know, come forward and take this, um, uh, you know, like Carrie Perez has, has said, and I can't remember if it was, and I'm not sure, one of the senators or representatives, this is a common bill. It really is. We shouldn't even, you know, I mean, it shouldn't even have to be to the point where we should have to protect our rights, our parental rights, and our children um, by, by putting it into a law. But, but if that's what we have to do, that's what we have to do. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I don't know if you know so, this, but the, if you know what the name Simon means, of oh. course, we didn't really know this kingdom, but it actually means to be heard. Wow. And uh, it's pretty interesting because, you know, just with hearings and, you know, different testimonies that, that we have. Um, yes, Simon is still being heard. <laughs> and yes. will be throughout the, throughout the uh, country, I guess, if you decide to go state by state. How can um, people find out more? People can find out more uh, what we... I would suggest going to Simon's Law Facebook page. Uh, we keep that updated with what is happening um, throughout, you know, the United States. 
Um, we also post pictures um, of sometimes, you know, with just special needs children. And it's just one of those places where you can go and ask questions. You can send a, a, a message through to us through that page. And either myself or, like I mentioned, Carrie Perez, Ben Bosch, and coordinator, one of us will We'll definitely get back to you um, as quickly as we can. I appreciate your time today speaking with us, and uh, hopefully we will see you soon. Thank you, Cheryl. I look forward to it. Thank you, Kimmy.